Once upon a time back in January 2020, many of us were thinking about escaping the grey and cold UK winter and looking towards booking our holidays. A perfect time, you might think, to launch a new payment product to cut the cost of transactions abroad. But a couple of months later, the world as we know it stopped and the travel industry went into meltdown. Despite the obvious challenges, the payment product Currencia onboarded 5,000 customers in quarter one alone and has achieved quarter-on-quarter cardholder growth of over 230%. Currency's founders James and Craig join me now to explain how they've done it. Welcome guys. Hi there. Hi. This is a, a fascinating story and I can't wait to, to get into it. Um, and I'm sure in January you guys were buzzing, you'd launched the product, it was going to slash the cost of car transactions for all of us traveling all around the world. And then two months later, the world, as we know, we know it ended. So, you know, this year has obviously been a roller coaster. Can you tell us a little bit about the the what you guys have taken from the, from this year's experience <laughs> well the first where quarter, do we start <laughs> well indeed i mean the first quarter was great it was uh we had amazing feedback from customers who had traveled to uh, to 120 countries around the globe and had uh had made huge savings and it had just gone down really really well um people loved using the loved using the product and then as you say, the uh, the doors suddenly closed, and uh, and everyone basically stopped travelling immediately in uh, in Q two. So that was it. Was a challenge. It was a challenging time. None of us knew how long it was going to last for. Um, so, so it was it was difficult. I mean, having said that, for us it was interesting because first of all we'd had that first quarter to get loads of feedback from customers mm-hmm. so on the one side it gave us a bit of an opportunity to uh just to to tweak the product and improve it on those areas where customers had said you know it could be a bit better so yeah. it gave us a bit of a chance to uh, to do that but it also the time also gave us a chance to look at a a product for businesses small businesses and we'd realized quite early on from people asking us um could we do something for businesses as well um, that there was demand there. And it was more for business. It was more for buying goods and services abroad mm-hmm. as opposed to just purely travel. So uh, so hence, you know, when it came to, uh, to Q2, we were A, increasing or improving the, uh, the consumer product and B, building this product for SMEs. Yeah. So when it came to uh, Q3, um, the, the air bridges opened. We had people piling in again on the consumer <laughs> side. It went, it went absolutely Let's mad. Let's get out of here. It was, it, was, it, was a, it was a mad time, really mad time. Um, and then at the beginning of Q4, we launched the product for SMEs um, in a difficult time for SMEs, given the whole um, COVID and Brexit yeah. and the impact of that has been huge. And again, that's gone down really well. People are, people are really enjoying it, being able to get incredibly well-priced FX um, when they uh, when they spend with our card, um, so it's yeah, it's uh, that's been been really positive. So it's been a, it's been an interesting year so far. One hell of a ride, James. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and that, like, it's actually quite scary when you just talk us through that, and just the fact that you're you're telling me that it's quarter four in 2020. The year is nearly over. We've all spent it largely at home. It's it's mad. Um, but let's let's take a step back, um, Craig. 
tell us a bit about the idea. Like, obviously, when you guys came up with this, nothing of 2020 was in your uh, it was in your roadmap. Um, so, where, oh, what right. was the original idea for currency? Uh, and I mean, where did it come our, from? Our back, yeah, sure. So our background. So, uh, so we uh, we spent our careers, our early careers in uh, in investment banking. So mm-hmm. I was a, a CTO of J.P. Morgan. Uh, James was a uh, was involved in foreign exchange in Barclays. So you know, we had a lot of uh, banking um, experience. I actually pivoted out of investment banking in the middle of this decade to focus much more. Uh, on consumer, uh, the consumer digital banking in the fintech space. Mm-hmm. Uh, so prior to uh, co-founding Currency, I was actually the chief engineer of open banking across uh, Lloyd's Banking Group, which is the uh, the UK's largest retail bank. Uh, so we had some you know pretty interesting um, experiences and, and background. So James and I, we'd actually worked together in a in, a, in an investment bank, uh, and we uh, we were having a beer. Um, in um, in uh, late uh, 2017, I just got back from Europe, um, having had an expensive holiday with my my family, and uh, we were discussing the uh, just the fees that you. I was just using my normal bank card uh, yes. when we were away, and we were just dis- we were discussing the fees that you get hit with uh, by using your normal bank card when making transactions. And there was one particular case where. I'd had to spend a thousand euros on something, and I couldn't believe that that was going to cost 30, 40 pounds uh, just transaction costs uh, with my bank. So that was really the uh, that was really the uh, you know the start of this whole currency journey. So we put our heads together um, after that beer, and uh, you know clearly there are other there are other solutions out there. There's prepaid cards or challenge banks, but fundamentally we didn't want, or I certainly didn't want to have to worry about managing another account, keeping it topped up. Fundamentally, I just wanted to use my normal bank accounts and just not uh, get hit with the uh, with the transactions costs. So that that was really the, uh, the, the, the starting point, the genesis of currency. So we spent about um, a year and a half developing the concepts, developing the products, getting all our licenses sorted out. So we didn't want, uh, want a... Uh, to, to develop another challenger bank or another prepay solution, we wanted something uh, something very different, which was going to be much more uh, convenient uh, for our for our customers. So, uh, so currency, the idea of currency was uh, was born uh, at that point. Uh, we spent about eighteen months uh, developing the product, um, getting our licenses. We're principal members of uh, Mastercard, which was, uh, which was a hugely important step for us. Uh, we, we raised uh, capital, uh, and we launched in, uh, as, as James was saying earlier on, we launched in uh, in January 2020. So um, yeah, it's been a, it's been, it was an amazing journey to get to uh, to this point. So you guys knew each other from working together in the past, is that right? Or how did you guys? Because it sounds like you, you know, you were mates. You know, you don't. I wouldn't just pop out for a beer with somebody I randomly worked with. So. <laughs> yeah, we, we, well, we, you know, for the people that I do work with, yes, I would do that. <laughs> I, so I we'd, wouldn't. You, we'd worked together at a uh, at a bank before, and yeah. uh, and we'd sort of you know, shared ideas in this space. And we were we were both from the sort of periphery of the. Well, I spent a long time in FX. Craig was doing stuff in that sort of area as well, and um, 
And so, yeah, so hence, uh, you know, we got on, uh, we got on very well in that. And it's just been, we'd been bouncing sort of ideas around for a, uh, you know, a while. Yeah. But it was only when we came, uh, we both came back after this, uh, this holiday and sat down over this, uh, over this beer. We really thought, oh my goodness. Yeah. We've yeah. got to do something. We've got to do something about this. Yeah. And did you, I mean, did you, did you hustle? Was this a side hustle? Were you doing this, you know, as well as working or had you both kind of decided to, to take the plunge? Because it's always yeah. a big decision, isn't it? It is. Yeah. No, we, we both had uh, had day jobs. You know, to start off with, it's just, uh, you know, kind of thought experiment, isn't it? Uh, after yeah. The, uh, for, for a while. Uh, and then you, you, you start to look at, it, look at it in a little bit more, bit more detail and you start to think mm, maybe there is something in this. So, uh, so I would say over a period of six months, we started to spend an in- increasing amount uh, of time um, in the evenings and weekends, uh, you know, exploring it and starting to, you know, cut code uh, just to test our ideas. And um, I would say after six, six to nine months, we, uh, we decided to take the plunge. Uh, and, uh, you know, this became our, our, our day job evening job and and also weekend job for uh for, for a uh, quite a quite a period but yeah, yeah i mean it takes a while f- to feel confident uh that you're uh you know the idea is sufficiently compelling that you you're gonna you're gonna go for it you know it's yeah. not it's not easy is it you know we you spent um years uh in uh in banking uh and then to actually take the plunge uh, and do it yourself is uh it, it's, it's a big step yeah, I mean a lot. I'm sure there's a lot of family members who are like, "What are you doing, leaving these high, <laughs> well-paid, high-powered jobs to go and be a startup?" Um, now, Craig, you just described. If I take a step back, there, you just described this very lovely. You know, you built a concept, and then you know you became a principal partner of Mastercard, and you got your banking licenses and all of this kind of stuff. And you just describe it as you know anybody could go and do that, but. We we know that you definitely cannot just go and do that. There's a huge amount of regulation um, in the in the banking industry. Um, yeah. You know what? How, tell us the real. You know what was the real story behind that? Like it must have been incredibly complex. What kind of challenges did you face? I think we were both James and I were very fortunate in having had um, careers in banking, so we knew we know the system. Um, so, uh, James, James had also worked for a prior to currency, uh, at another, uh, he, he'd started up another, um, fintech, uh, which had, had to go through the regulatory, uh, regulatory hurdles as well. So, so I would say the combination of our experiences working in global banks, uh, together with James's prior experience in, uh, in setting up fintechs, regulated fintechs. You know that was hugely, hugely powerful for us because we were just, we just knew uh, how to uh, how to get things done and how to uh, navigate the system. I would say, uh, and I think that's, you know, that's, I think someone who's starting um, from from scratch, I think that's going to be would be very, very challenging actually. And I, I, James, I'm not sure what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, I mean, I think um, I think in this scenario it was particularly difficult because. The part of the regulation that we were working with had never actually been tested before. It had been prescribed, um, but it was quite a broad brush. So because no one had ever created a, a product like this before, so a debit card that links to an existing high street bank using open banking, it was sort of, it was quite tricky. So we spent a long time 
working directly with the regulator, the FCA, and with MasterCard. And we went with the FCA into their, they have a sort of like a sandbox innovation they, program, they which was think, incredibly yeah. useful. So we spent a long time with, uh, with those guys doing that and figuring out what, you know, how, how all this stuff could actually work in, uh, in reality. So, uh, it was, it was, uh, it was complex, it was challenging, but it was useful having done it before. Yeah, like it's taken that uh, kind of description trailblazers, isn't it? And <laughs> you guys are definitely doing that. Well, well, yeah. Um, and it is those open banking regulations that change that enabled, I, I guess, what you guys are doing now. Um, for people who don't quite understand the concept and what it actually has meant for innovation and for this opportunity for fintechs to to start up and challenge your banks to come about, tell us a bit about, can you give us a bit of a layman's explanation on what that all means yeah. for us? Yeah, let me say that. So as I mentioned before, I was actually the chief chief engineer of open banking at uh, one of the, uh, the largest banks in the UK. Uh, so fundamentally, the banks were mandated by the government to uh, essentially open up their capabilities onto the internet so that uh, regulated third parties, for instance, such as currency, uh, there's, there's, there, there are probably 200 uh, regulated uh, third parties now, uh, so that these parties uh, could actually integrate with, with banks uh, and um, a customer can essentially give consent uh, to a third party to access their, uh, their underlying banking apps. This is our whole concept of uh, of open banking, uh, so that the third parties, these fintechs, uh, they can uh, provide value-adding services that the, the 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 major banks would never be able to provide. So that's the that's the that's the essence of uh, open banking in a nutshell. And as as we dis- as we discussed, we're the um, we decided to take the open banking regulation and apply it in a, a card context. Um, and, uh, and as we've, as we've discussed, we're the, we're the first people to have figured out how to use open banking to, uh, to deliver, uh, the, um, this FX, uh, debit card, which, you know, as we, as we said, uh, allows customers to basically get, um, into bank rates. So basically rates, um, better than challenger banks, but, uh, with their, their high street bank, which is, you know, our fundamental proposition, really. Yeah, it's a really exciting time, I think, for consumers to see all of these new products coming out. Um, I'm a Snoop fan, and we've had DMG and Anne Gaddy on uh, previously, and uh, I'm now a Starling customer because of it, because it integrated with uh, with Snoop, and I love the money saving uh, topics. And you know, I'm hoping hoping to go to India next February, um, and now I know that currencies out there that is going to help me save some money and make that a bit more affordable for me. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> fingers crossed. Or maybe next year, maybe 2022 I'll go. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's just it's such an exciting time and investors um, are really buying into this this whole kind of uh, tech cluster. Um, and, you know, we know now in this kind of post-COVID world that investors are becoming a lot more uh, diligent. They are very much exploring the markets that are growing at this uh, in this in this space at the moment. Um, and there is investment happening and you guys have um, managed to secure five million. Um, so we'd love to talk to you about that funding uh, journey, because, again, 
not an easy one. Uh, you can't just raise five million um, off the back of an idea. So can you talk to us a bit about your funding journey and how you have gone, gone about doing that? And what are you doing with the five million? Yeah, of course. So, I mean, I think one of the key things that investors are looking for now is a solid USP. Um, I think going back a few years, um, there are a lot of products out there who are just getting on lots of users and hoping to make money from them at some point in the future. So I think now investors are getting a lot more um, diligent in terms of uh, you know what they're looking for. They're looking for something from with a genuine um, business advantage, a genuine idea that could do could do transformational things. Um, so I think we you know we count ourselves lucky to be in a position where we're doing something uh, new and trailblazing. So I think that that ticked the a lot of investors' boxes pretty quickly and pretty early on that they could see something was really different here and it had a genuine commercial model. Um, behind it. So we we started off um, looking at private funding. So having worked in the, the banking sector, we had a, a good network of people in that uh, in that space. So we had lots of friends and family around there who put in the the first um, smaller fundraising round. Mm-hmm. Um, and then off the back of that, we then, we then built the product and put something into the market to, for, uh, for people to, to basically test and sort of do beta testing on. Um, and then we actually went out to do crowdfunding as well. And that was a, that was an amazing experience, actually. Um, and it's a, it's a great way of getting a huge number of small investors to be able to share in the uh, in success of a, of a product. So we did that uh, last, uh, last November and um, raised, a, uh, raised a really good amount of money, raised just short of a million pounds on the, uh, from crowdfunding which was great. And we've got some incredible investors on board because of that. And just lots of small investors, uh, a lot of them who you can add something, bring something to the table. Uh, it's amazing. So we've got a great, a great network of smaller investors, of bigger investors, and, you know, and across them all. Um, yeah, we've managed to, uh, to achieve a, a good, a good size raise. And this year um, is now all about um, looking at our product for small businesses. And then when Let's say when, not if the vaccine lands and we get some uh, some travel again, then we'll absolutely be looking to uh, push the consumer product into the into the market and push our marketing harder on that and just build the awareness um, because the people who've used it so far absolutely love the product. So I think it is for us. It's all about awareness now and um, and getting a market adoption. If you're enjoying the podcast, simply hit the like and subscribe button on your favorite podcast platform. If you have the time, leave us a review. You can do that really easily by going to ratemypodcast.com forward slash fast. Yeah, and you know, you've just mentioned about the small investors and actually um, the crowdfunding element is really interesting because we've, we've talked about that a few times on the podcast and it has been a blend for quite a few um, businesses that are scaling because of the the range, but also the it's almost like the marketing element of it, the, the uptake of the consumer, because all of those people that have invested probably have downloaded the 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 or have bought the product to use it themselves and have given you that that extra user case and feedback. Um, but it's not just the small investors. I'm just reading here some of the some of the other people that you have on board. You've got a, a former CEO of, of Amazon UK and 
uh, former CIO of WorldPay and the co-founders of Bicken.com. I mean, they're not, they're not just all this, it's not just the little guys. In there. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, know, you know, I think it's quite, I think it's, I think it's quite interesting. Uh, so one of the, one of the, one of the people that you just mentioned, they, they approached us um, probably in Q1 and uh, it was a really interesting um this was, this was, I guess, just after lockdown had started, actually, funnily enough. Uh, and he had heard about currency and he'd gone through the, uh, what we call the onboarding journey and, and acquired a currency card. And, you know, he, he, he basically loved the experience so much, uh, that, uh, he wanted, um, he wanted to, um, invest in, in currency. And that's, uh, you know, that's a fantastic, uh, fantastic story. Um, because, uh, you know, that kind of demonstrates that, you know, he'd used the product, uh, and, um, you know, he, he, either, he then wants to be, uh, wants to be part of the, uh, part of the story, which was, you know, fantastic, uh, really for us. Uh, and then some of these other guys, uh, again, James mentioned, uh, our careers in investment banking. Um, and, and I think this is a general point how important the network is. Mm. Uh, in general, uh, and uh, really within probably two degrees of separation, you know, we could we could pretty much get to um, well, you know, some of these some of these names that you just uh, you got to them. <laughs> you we, got we got them, to them you because them you know board. we know we know you know a friend of a friend knows so and yeah. so, uh, and uh, you know that's uh, that's unbelievably powerful, really. Yeah. And would you say that they've had an like what kind of impact that combined experience has brought? You know, they've obviously come from, you know, e-commerce and financial backgrounds. You know, uh, what has that added to your kind of roadmap? I mean, I think it's hugely valuable. Um, you know, each each individual brings something different to the uh, to the table, and some are more involved than others, but everyone brings something. And you know, whether that is Again, a, a broader network or a particular skill set around a, a particular product type. Maybe someone's been really focused on consumer products before, or someone's been really focused on um, cards. So, for instance, you, know, you mentioned the um, former UK CEO of Amazon. You know, some incredible, uh, incredible ideas, knowledge around UK marketing to consumers. Um, one of our advisors is the ex-CEO of Visa um, in the UK. And again, incredible experience there around the cards and different card propositions, etc. So you know, everyone brings something to the table, which is uh, you know, very special when you get some of those people involved. Yeah. I'd also, I'd also just add that the, these, one of the reasons these guys wanted to get involved was, okay, so maybe they'll make some, uh, some return. Ho- hopefully we'll all make uh, a decent return uh, at the end of the day. But I think a lot of these guys, they actually want to be involved in something new mm. and something that can actually uh, change an industry. Uh, and um, I, I think that's one of the reasons that uh, they actually, you know, wanted to become part of the uh, the team. We see them as part of the team uh, because of the uh, just being involved in something, you know, very exciting and uh, and and very disruptive. No, I think you're right. You know, banking is obviously steeped in tradition and the opportunity to try and do something new and break the mold um, absolutely has to pique their interest. They're all innovators themselves. Um, now, speaking of innovation, um, COVID has 
uh, you know, I suppose um, crisis and chaos is the mother <laughs> of innovation. Um, and we've spoken to several founders over the course of the year who have spotted opportunities to diversify during the pandemic. Um, and you've touched upon this small business product, um, which you guys are, are in the course of developing. And um, we look forward to hearing more about that. Um, but it's not the only um, new user case. Um, what other kinds of things have you seen um, from the consumers in terms of how they're using the product? Oh, we've seen some really interesting uh, interesting examples of of people buying things abroad. So we have we've had one uh, we've had one use case of someone who was a, a hairdresser who diversified into wine, and I think to start with they were they were doing they were doing hairdressing and wine. And then I think as COVID hit, they meant more and more into wine. So for them, being able to buy you know, quite a few cases of wine from abroad at any one time, <laughs> but saving, they actually came to us and said they saved about 5% versus the mechanism they were using to buy their wine previously. So that's wow. a great, it's a great case where a sort of a, almost like a pivot of ours moving from consumer to SME. And he was using a consumer card to start with, and he's got himself a business card as well. So it's great how you know, our sort of move across there was able to support a consumer doing his sort of uh, pivot across there as well. So yeah. it's, a, it's a great, a great example. I mean, I hope they wasn't uh, drinking the wine as he was doing the hair. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I never tried the haircut, but <laughs> I think I might diversify into that. <laughs> into the wine. We, we had another example. We had another example of a, uh, a farmer in Northern Ireland. Um, who got a uh, who, who recently got a, uh, a currency card, uh, and now uh, nips over to the uh, to Southern Ireland, and uh, uh, to buy his agricultural equipments uh, from uh, from Southern Ireland using the currency card, and obviously he's going to get these unbelievably sharp rates, and uh, and takes them back into uh, back into Northern Ireland. So I think that's another really interesting example of uh, how how currency is. Uh, is helping uh, yeah I think it's interesting how other businesses are innovating using the, your product um you know and they're finding other ways to um uh to do things um and I love that you're hearing about these stories and I love that a Northern Ireland guy uh came up with that one um but it, does that present new opportunities you know obviously we're moving to this incredibly online world we're all buying products from all over the world um you know, is that is that something that you see is a as a new market for you guys? Yeah, I mean it's hugely important, and I think when it comes to the the product for SMEs, it's a it's just it's such a massive area and such a crucial area of of spend, and it's and it's funny because people think of uh, import export international trade as big shipping containers, mm-hmm. but actually it's not. There's a huge amount where small businesses are paying for online services, online software, whether that's their, their internet site hosting or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, so much of it can be in dollars or in euros. So that sort of international trade angle is absolutely huge. And when we, when we launched the consumer card and started getting, getting people coming to us and saying, you know, if you thought of doing this for the business, it would be really useful for us. Um, that's when we really realized quite how big that, uh, that segment actually is. So I think it's a it's a huge segment both for businesses and for consumers who are, as you say, you know, buying more and more things from uh, from abroad these days. 
I mean, on the consumer side, on the consumer side, I'd say that you know another interesting phenomenon that we we're expecting to see is uh, the um, the fact that uh, people historically uh, would buy uh, travel money from bureau de change or the post office. Mm-hmm. I think in a post in a post COVID era. Um, I mean, I can't actually remember the last time I took money out of the bank. You know, everything is everything is digital. Uh, we're expecting um, consumers to predominantly use uh, plastic rather than uh, rather than going and getting cash from the from the bureau de change because you know for obvious for obvious reasons. So we're certainly expecting that uh, that phenomenon to uh, to feature heavily um, when uh, when people start to travel again. And what about Brexit, guys? That's, you know, it's on everyone's horizon. I see regular, um, you know, four, four warnings from government adverts um, telling businesses and, and consumers to be prepared. Um, do you guys have any concerns over how the deal, if there ever is one, might affect the, you know, business, your business, what consumers are doing, what SMEs are doing? Or is it an opportunity? I don't know. <laughs> It's tricky. It's really tricky. I mean, I think in the mid to long term, there's an, it's unknown whether, whether Brexit is, is positive or negative for businesses. I think no one knows. Um, but in the short term, we actually, we commissioned a survey a, a few weeks ago and, um, and we found that 6% of SMEs have stopped, um, international trade, um, based on, um, the impending Brexit. Now, that's a huge, that's a huge percentage. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of it is down to the uncertainty, though, which is, do they invest? Do they not invest? And I think until we get that certainty, it's going to be really hard to, to figure out. So I think my guess would be, as soon as we get more certainty on the outcome, then we'll see a bit more of a bounce again. And some of that international trade may well come back. So I think that is the hope for all of us. Yeah, no, 100% agree. I think, you know, n- Britain is known as the nation of shopkeepers and that is because of the size of the SME market here. So yes, 6% is, uh, you know, a significant amount of, um, you know, of GDP. Um, but it, you know, you guys are maybe not so affected by it. You have uh, achieved some incredible quarter on quarter growth of 230%. Um, and I'm boarding these 5,000 customers in the first quarter of the year. So like what's next? What's your next growth plans? What are you expecting to see happen in 2021? I think the key, the key thing is going to be based on a lot of it is going to be based on COVID. What happens to, to consumer travel? I mean, we're already seeing our SME product is gone down well and is taking off nicely. But what happens? What happens to that uh, to consumer travel? Do we get a vaccine? Does it bounce back? There have been lots of reports of people starting to book a lot more holidays in uh, in 2021 already, um, and there seem to be some uh, some great bargains to be had at the moment still. So the hope is we get some sort of vaccine, more of a clarity, and we get a good bounce back. So I think for us, it's a combination of supporting small businesses in terms of reducing their fees for buying things abroad. That's going to be critical as businesses bounce back um, for, uh, for that whole segment. And on the consumer side, we want to be there for them. We want to be there to save them 3 to 5% on every transaction they do abroad. <laughs> <laughs> That's <Lovely>. the game. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> 
Well, it adds up, you know, when you're doing these these big trips. Um, Craig, I don't know where you went, but, you know, I've just paid uh, £900 <laughs> of the rest of my uh, what I owed on India. And God knows how much I'll spend when I when I get there. So um, I'm more than interested in saving three and five percent. No, you guys, obviously, the, the travel side of the business um, means that um, there is a climate impact. So the more that people travel, um, the more impact that we see on the environment. But you guys have tried to do something about that. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your environmental credentials and what you guys are trying to do? And who came up with the idea? Yeah, I think it was a bit of a bit of a joint effort, actually. I think it might have been the original idea might have actually been one of the investors that we discussed uh, earlier on who may have uh, may have sowed the seed. So with currency, we provide our customers with the ability to automatically offset their carbon footprint uh, by essentially sacrificing um, a percentage of the savings they would have made relative to their bank. Uh, at, they, they basically sacrifice that. We then take that money uh, and we we have partnered with one of the world's largest uh, reforestation uh, entities uh, called One Tree Planted. Uh, and they will uh, essentially plant trees um, in, we've, got a, we've basically got a bunch of projects that we've, uh, we've identified with those guys. Uh, so Guatemala, Rwanda, uh, Indonesia. So we will essentially plant trees on behalf of uh, customers. So, uh, so for instance, uh, if a, a person is in New York and they uh, they they're spending say $100, uh, so that that saving would equate to maybe three pounds by using currency. We can take that three pounds, and uh, for that customer, we can essentially buy uh, four trees for them. And have them planted in one of these uh, one of these locations uh, around the world. And it's amazing to think that one tree in its lifetime will sequester uh, around about a ton of carbon dioxide out of the uh, out of the atmosphere. Uh, so our customers so far have uh, basically planted around about two thousand trees, uh, which is the equivalent of around two thousand tons of CO two. Uh, which is which is essentially been uh, extracted uh, out of, will have been extracted um, out of out of the atmosphere over the next uh, few years. So fundamentally, it's an amazingly convenient way for our customers to uh, to offset the environment environmental impacts of their of their travel. And it's gone down unbelievably unbelievably well, and uh, you know provides a really really uh, engaging feature uh, for our customers. I can imagine, um, you know, because it's not even costing them any more money. It's the money that Absolutely. they would have saved anyway. They're just being more socially conscious consumers, Absolutely. which yeah. I think that's what we're saying, you know, right across, you know, society now is that we've all become civically minded and are much more socially aware um, as a result of everything that we've all experienced um, this year. So um, really nice, really nice feature. Um you know, we'd like to always kind of um, wrap up the podcast with some advice uh, for other entrepreneurs who listen to the show. Um, and I've got a couple of questions for, for you guys. Um, I thought um, the first one I would ask is perhaps, you know, for anyone that's deliberating over the right time to launch their business, uh, given you guys um, <laughs> have nailed that one, um, what advice would you have to anyone concerned about timing? 
<laughs> I mean, it's, uh, I mean, ideally, don't launch in the middle of a pandemic would be, <laughs> or just before a pandemic. <laughs> However, um, apart from those once in a hundred year uh, occurrences, um, I think our advice would be there is no point waiting for the timing to be right. It's the most important thing is to just go as quickly as you uh, as quickly as you can and have confidence in uh, in what you're doing. I think there'll there'll always be people who will say, "Oh, you know, what about this? What about that?" and think about this. And are you sure it might not work? And actually, the advice we'd give to anyone who is undoubtedly hearing all that is just go for it. Launch as soon as you can. And and in terms of in terms of giving secrets away about a product, one thing founders always do is they're always incredibly secretive about the you know the, the gem of the idea. It's so unbelievably mm-hmm. important. Yes. And the one thing I would say, having done um, worked with a number of businesses in this, is it's the combination of the idea and the execution. Just getting the idea out there, people may see it, but they need to see execution before they'll copy it. So I would say just get out there, launch it, do as much as possible, as quickly as possible. And don't worry about all those things would be my advice. Lovely. I love it. Um, apart from the don't launch in a pandemic, which you guys didn't do, you didn't do too badly. Um, we you know, before. <laughs> yeah. But I, you know, I suppose, you know, you had the luxury of your first quarter, um, to give you a bit of a, a you know, yeah. a boy and allow, have allowed you then to look at other, you know, things that were always on your roadmap a little bit, um, sooner. Um, yeah. but, um, Craig, what about you? What would be some of the most important lessons that you've learned over the course of, of currency? Um, that you I, I, could yeah. share. I think you've got to be prepared to uh, adapt to the uh, to the shifting landscape. You know your plans. Um, you've got to be prepared to rip up your plans and figure out what you're going to do given the uh, given the shift in the uh, shift in the landscape. You know you can say it's pivot. That's a, that's a great word. But you just have to be prepared to uh, to adapt to the uh, to the shifting landscape. Otherwise, you might end up falling off a cliff. So, thank you so much um, for your time and um, for sharing your journey. And uh, we hope that um, your new currency product will help give people um, a few savings and uh, a better night's sleep. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Standing in a tin shed. Fast Forward is a weekly interview podcast brought to you by Tech Manchester, an incubator for digital and creative startups in the Northwest. I'm your host, Patricia Keating. The podcast is produced by Sarah Belly, audio editing by Jamie Gownlock, and music by Parma Violence. If you have any questions, feel free to drop us a line at info at techmanchester.co.uk or follow us on any of our social channels, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook and LinkedIn all under Tech Manchester.